Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Talk on Toffees with me, Peter, and co-host Andy. We hope you all had a Merry Christmas and we wish you a happy 2021. So we're back recording now and in this week's episode we'll be looking back at our games over the festive period. And we'll also be discussing what business ever needs to do in the January transfer window. There's been an awful lot of football, Andy, since our last podcast, so we'll do our best to pick apart the games. If we start with the Leicester game away, they come only a couple of days after Chelsea. Um, when we preview this one, I think yourself and Paul, you know, you were confident we'd get three points. I wasn't as confident as though we would do well to draw the game, but, you know, it was a, a complete and professional performance from start to finish. You know, Richarlison and Holgate settled the tie with the goals. Um, Carlo continued with four centre-halves across the back four and I think we looked solid for it um, and it was it was a big three points wasn't it you know given that we've beaten Chelsea and as I say for me I want to talk a draw before the game um, what was your overall take from that one? I thought we thought we were brilliant that game as you said the closer we got to the game I would have took a draw to be honest with you but um, you know I think, think we've done really well we were solid we've seen Richardson had his best there for that goal. Um and, and you know we took our chances and, and come away with a clean sheet again. So um yeah it was I've made up with that one. Yeah. I suppose the only downside from that game was, was the injury to Alan. Um you know from Carlo's last press conference before the, the West Ham game, he indicates that he will be back at the end of this month, which is a huge plus. But in terms of Alan's loss you know, for you anyway, how how big a loss do you, do you see it in terms of you know the players coming in? Do you think there's a big gap there in the in the quality between Allen and what's coming to replace him? Yeah, I think we've seen early doors this season, haven't we? How effective Allen is for us um, on his game. He, he's he's absolutely brilliant, and he's the answer to you know a lot of myself, including a lot of Evertonians who say we've never really replaced Garner Gay. I think he, he, he answers a few of them questions for us. So uh, I think he's, he's a huge loss. And that, as we've already seen and we're going to get on to, we've seen the likes of Tom Davies come into, into that role. And, you know, no disrespect to me, you know, there's a complete golfing ability, uh, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, he, he's absolutely huge loss. And, you know, the sooner we get him back, the better. Yeah, like for me, I see... Abdoulaye Decoré is probably the, the best player to, to replace Alan in terms of sitting in. And I think in that game when Decoré had to sit in, I thought he was brilliant. Um, but my only issue is that, as you just said, if you do put Decoré in there, you then lose that quality in the midfield in terms of, OK, you've got Decoré sitting, but then you've got Gomez, his form's up and down. You know, you don't know what you're going to get with Andre Gomez. Tom Davis... I think we're both in agreement that, you know, he's he's just not good enough for Everton. So there's a lot of midfield options, but actually they're not very good. And Alan's pivotal to, to what we want to do. Um so yeah, I think the quicker we get him back, the better. I mean, we'll come on to the January transfer window a little later, but you know, I suppose really you can understand the Kadira links when you when you look at Everton's midfield, you t- you know, with the exception of the core and Allen, so much of a muchness in there with Sigerson, Gomez, Davis. They're all capable of good performances, but I suppose really, you know, there's a lack of trust there in terms of whether they can sustain it week in, week out. Um, so, yeah, we'll just have to see whether, you know, the rumours are true and Carlo will look to, to delve into the market there. Um, but, yeah, it was a good performance. I mean, towards the end of the game, Leicester got a penalty there. What was your take on that? Do you think you got away with one or? My first opinion, my first thought, it was it was clear cut penalty. Uh, looking yeah. back on that, I think the referee made a good decision in, in sort of um, not giving it. I don't think it was a penalty. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. It, it looked clumsy, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was clumsy when you when you do that in the box. You know, you're always at risk and. I think it would have made for an early end. But, but in fairness, I think 2-0 was, was a fair reflection of our dominance in that game. And I think going to Leicester and beating them was, at the time, a real statement. Um, you know, backing up the, the, the win against Chelsea. And then, you know, the, the tough pictures kept coming, obviously, you know, after Leicester uh, Saturday night. 
in that week. It was Arsenal at home. I mean, with Arsenal's form, it was probably the first time for me anyway in a long time where we would be considered nailed on to, to win the game, you know, in terms of playing against Arsenal in the past. But probably, traditionally anyway, we were outsiders for the fixture. But, you know, we were we were favourites and, and, you know, it was com- a comfortable win. Um, again, Carlo maintained four centre-backs ac- across the back four. I actually don't think we played brilliantly. I just think we've done enough to win the game and and I think that's what was probably most pleasing that you know we were professional enough to, to get the job done and I thought on the night we probably probably had another gear in us but, but we didn't you know we done what was needed. Um I mean yeah for me it, it was just about job done. Um the second half I thought we could have played better and towards the end Arsenal were, were knocking on the door. But I think apart from Pickford punching it out to David Luiz and that hitting the woodwork. I thought we were reasonably comfortable in that second half. I mean, what was your take on the, on, on that one? Yeah, as you just said, then I don't think that we, we were superb. Uh, I think we played a lot better against Leicester, but I think we were effective in what we've done. And what I was quite happy with is, you know, Arsenal getting that goal, that, that penalty, and then us going back in front and us taking the three points then, you know, I, I I've seen that as something I've been quite critical of Everton over the years, of sort of choking a little bit and um, and mentality. And I thought in that game we, we showed good mentality, to be honest with you, because another time we would have went 2-1 behind, totally undeserved and thinking, what, what's going on here? But we, we didn't. We, we went back ahead and, and we got the three points. So, as you said, a professional job. We were effective in what we'd done, uh, but not outstanding. But I'll take that every game if it meant three points. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it was about, especially with the fixtures coming thick and fast. Um, it was an opportunity to, to close the gap towards the top of the league and, you know, we, we got the job done. Um, it was another game where there was a penalty given against us. Obviously, thankfully, it never proved decisive. Were there any complaints from you as to whether it was a penalty? I suspect not, but would you be critical of, of Tom Davis in that role? In, you know, he's He's made an honest attempt to, to clear the box, but I was, it didn't look great, did it? I was quite surprised, really, because the one thing that I do give Davies is I, I think he's quite aware of what's around him on the pitch. If you look at him, you know, follow him when he's playing, he's sort of constantly looking over his shoulders. He's making sure that he knows where his own players are, and I think he's got a good awareness of of the game. It's always quite surprised when I've seen it, really, because he had no clue that a player was steaming in to the box, and you you just got to be a little bit more cute in that in that. Position, you? you know, you're trying to get rid of the ball. I know it's his natural instinct, but I think he's just got to be a little bit more aware. Uh, I wouldn't blame him as such. I think it'd be quite harsh to, to sort of pinpoint him for blame, but but yeah, you just got to be a little bit more careful, haven't you? Learn from it. Yeah, I agree. And in fairness to Davis, I thought it was quite a poor error, but I thought after that, he had a decent game. It didn't really knock him. Um, and it never knocked Everton. You know, once Arsenal equalised, we we just stay calm and, uh, and you know, went and got another goal. Um, and as I say, I think in the form Arsenal were in, it was a game we should have been winning, but without being at our best, you know, we got the job done. Um, so moving on, the, the big one that I think we were both looking forward to from a personal point of view is an opportunity to, to win the trophy drought. You know, Man United at home in, in the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup. I mean, it was a massive game. It really was and an opportunity to, you know, get to 90 minutes away from, from a cup final. It needed a big performance. Unfortunately, you know, we never got that. For you and your take on the game and the results, do you think it was a case of it was just one game too many in a congested festive period? Or would you be more critical and, and say, you know, we didn't really turn up? A tough one, isn't it? Because we did play a lot of football over that period of time, and looking back on it, you know, can may sound a little bit harsh, but on the day and at the time, we we feeling was that we just didn't do the basics, the basics that we'd be doing really well against Arsenal, against Leicester, but we never we never turned up. It wasn't the Everton that we'd seen in them recent games. It was slow. It was late. The passing was off, and it was just a shame, really, because as you said, I think Everton fans wanted that a lot more than. United fans did. 
um, you know, something at the club that you know you seen it on the social media, the club and everything. It was a, it was a massive game for us, and we just never turned up. I, I don't feel, and I think we allowed Man United to to sort of come and get the win. Really, uh, we didn't put enough fight up. Yeah, I suppose another aspect of, of the game was United made nine changes, and I think that was quite a big difference to the two sides as well. That I said before, Man United's first eleven, sorry, Man United's best eleven and Everton's best eleven. I don't think there's a major difference, but Man United have got much more strength and depth in personnel and. I think in particular the forward areas, if you look at United, Cavani, Martial, Greenwood, Rashford, you know, you look at Everton and it's after Dominic Cavallone and Richarlison, you look at the likes of Bernard, Cenk Tolson and it's glaring, I think the difference in quality and I think it is shown, particularly towards the end of the game, we never played well and we weren't that far away from a penalty shootout and Man United just, you know, the goals he scored with Cavani, Martial, I think it just his home really that there is a, a lack of strength and depth. I think Everton do have a big squad, but I don't think it's a good squad. And I think there's such a drop. We touched on it earlier, you know, with Alan. Alan sustains an injury and then there's such a big drop in terms of who can come in to fill the gap. Whereas with United, if you lose a player, there's not a significant drop. All, all over the park, they, they do have more, more strength and depth. Um, it, you know, it angered both of us in terms of, you know, Cavani and Bruno Fernandes staying on the park. I think we're probably in agreement, aren't we, that you we were both lucky to stay on the pitch. Uh, on the flip side to it, uh, and you, you may disagree, but on the flip side for me is that this is a quarter-final of Goodison Park, and I think it's something that I spoke about in the summer, that, you know, people describe Cavani's choke slam is as disgraceful but I sort of look at Yeri Mina as six foot five centre half you're at Goodison under the floodlights in a quarter final you shouldn't be letting anyone put you on the ground and I'm not condoning what Cavani done in terms of criticising Mina Cavani should have saw a red card for what he done but for me I just felt that we allowed them to bully us and I thought what Fernandez done was very very sneaky and sly I think he's, he's put Richarlison in harm's way and I, I thought he could have been sent off. But I suppose my point is, I think we allowed them to come to Goodison and bully us in, in a quarter-final. And I think that was disappointing. Um, do you think I'm being too critical there? or? No, I get your point. I get your point. And we both feel that um, Cavani should have been sent off for that, 100%. Um, it, soft, really. You know, if you look at football years ago, that, that, that wouldn't even talked about uh, but in this day and age where you know players are getting sent off for less in the, in the eyes of the law that uh, the game that that's a sending off but I know what you mean sort of you'd like to think yeah yeah he mean it'd be able to sort, sort himself out better like you know what I mean and yeah and not hit the ground like I, that, right <laughs> I, I know I know the other points as well is that you know if yeah mina retaliates it's Cavani that stays down, Mina could have saw red. I think, you know, Cavani should have been sent off for what he'd done. But, you know, I suppose really what was at stake, I just, I would have liked to have saw a more aggressive Everton, you know, yeah. an, Ever an Everton side that just wasn't prepared to, to be bullied. But, yeah, all, all night, it was just, it wasn't quite right. And, you know, we we didn't really have to fight in us. Um, and it's something that, you know, I'm critical of and we'll come on to the West Ham game a, a little later. But for me, it was just another example that an opportunity has come along and we don't really have that leadership and we don't have enough winners in the side to, to drag us through. You know, either the, the 90 minutes, if it's a league, you know, get the three points or, you know, in this case, the cup, drag us through to the next round of the competition. Um, obviously, there's a... The shredded depth was an issue, but that late in the game, you, you sort of looking at your leaders to say, you know, come on, let, let's make sure we at least take this to penalties. And I just thought it was another opportunity that we don't really have the, the mentality to, to, to grasp these opportunities of real success. Um, and yeah, I think with Carlo, I think he's bringing in 
his signings, you can see he's bringing in a, a better quality of player. But I think it's important that there's a mentality change, and it's only really going to come through the players on the pitch. You know, in terms of in these moments, grasping the opportunity and getting us through the next round. Because I know Man United made changes, and you know they are a good side, but it it was there. It was there for us, especially having fans in the ground, and you know it was another opportunity that that had gone. I don't know. I suppose when we spoke about the League Cup in the past, well, it, you know, in the last couple of months, we've looked at it as sort of season defining because you know we're desperate for a trophy, and we went through that poor run of form, and it looked as though Europe had gone. But because of where we were in the league, it was quite easy to sort of put it to bed and you know pick ourselves up and focus on the league. And and that was it. When we went into the Sheffield United game on Boxing Day, you know, there was an opportunity to get three points and go second in the league. And I can't remember the last time we were second in the league on Boxing Day. So I think, you know, because of what was up for grabs, it was easy to, to move on from the United game. And again, you know, for me, with, with this one, a bit like Arsenal, the performance wasn't going to matter here. Um, I think with the fixture congestion, the position that Everton were in and the position Sheffield United were in looking for the first win, especially the weather as well on the night. It was terrible conditions for football. It, it was never going to be a, a classic. Uh, for you, were you just happy that we got the three points? Were, were, you, were you bothered about the performance? Because obviously, I well, you might disagree, but I don't think we were brilliant on the night. We were just professional. We've done what we needed to do. Yeah, the three points is the main thing, as you said. All them, um, you know, the combination of variables in there just come away with three points, and uh, I, I was happy. I think it texted you in the game, didn't I? I think it sent a message saying a one nil win to us here would be absolutely perfect. Um, it, it was scrappy. You know, we had to play the game on their level to a degree for for a lot of the game. So to come away with three points there, yeah, I was made up. I know. Their form's not been great, but there was enough there to cause a bit of an upset. Um, so, yeah, just the three points was, was major. And it, it it just felt like a big win at the time, you know, um, particularly for myself, who sort of, you know, I have been critical of Everton in, in not, just said about the Man United game, not grasping the opportunity. And, you know, with an opportunity on the night to go second against the team looking for the first win, it did have all the conditions for a potential upset, and you know it. It, it, it just felt as though it may be a turning point. Um, it, it was a big win, and, and obviously Gilfie Sigurdsson, similar position to Burnley away. You know, there was a, an opportunity for him to goal, and, and he's done the job on, on this occasion. And um, oh, you know, I know we've won the game now, but I was very critical of the referee. To be honest, Andy, I just think later on in that game. It was a clear cut penalty to Everton not given. Um and the time we added on just didn't seem to fit in with the amount of time that you know that that had been added on and, and right at the end of the game there's an opportunity for them to potentially equalise. So I was relieved more than anything when the when the referee blew his whistle. But yeah, it it, it felt it did feel like a, a big three points and um with the with the Festive period and the fixture list so congested, you know, it was bittersweet. You know, we got the three points, but then on Monday, you know, only two days later, we knew we had Man City. And obviously, now we know the game never went ahead. But at the time, I was, you know, I was looking at it thinking, we're going to have to rotate and we do well to get the points. Were you confident that if we played Man City only two days later, we would have got three points there? Or were you sort of in in a way, relieved that, that we got the break. Relieved we got the break because what I think Man City played the same night on Boxing Night as well. Yeah, yeah, they did. I remember looking while the game was on, I just had a little check of their team sheet and I, I remember seeing their bench and their bench was, you know, pretty much better than our first team. Um, we're all very close to us, so I thought we could be in real trouble here because they've been able to have the luxury of resting a lot of players and been able to put out a, a really strong side uh, even two days later players who hadn't taken part in the, the Boxing Day game so I think um, I think we could have been in a little bit of trouble there when you you look at the lack of depth in our squad and we've had 
more than likely had Tosin up top and you know, have uh, Gordon coming in, not against Gordon. I think he's brilliant. He should have had more chances this season. But, yeah, I think we would have struggled, um, personally. Yeah. I, I love to be a, a lot of back and forth with, with Everton Man City fans. And sometimes, in situations like this, you know, tribalism and rivalry blares the reality of the situation more. What's your take on what happened? I mean, we're not we're not privy to what happened behind the scenes, so we've got to take whatever the Man City is saying at face value. But what's your personal opinion on how the game was postponed? Whether you, you think the game should have been postponed? I mean, what what's your feeling on what happened? And, and how how comfortable are how comfortable are you with the game not going ahead in the circumstances? I, I remember I was watching um, Sky Sports News at the time they announced it and I was just surprised more than anything because it was dark. It was literally dark. I remember I was at it was dark. And, and when it came on and I thought, you know, we're playing at home and we've got to let so many fans know. But at the time they were reporting that Everton were in agreement with it so I didn't think nothing of it until later on really when I heard that, you know, that didn't really seem to be the case. It more seemed to be, well, from my opinion, it seemed that Man City were dictating what was going on and, and what the situation was going to be and how it was going to unfold. Um, I'm not saying for one minute that we, sh- we should have got the three points or anything, but it does seem a little bit naughty to me, like what went on. Because uh, I just assumed at first Everton were involved in that decision. And, and if there has been an outbreak, then rightly so. But it does seem to me, you know, from the outside, that Man City were dictating a little bit what what the situation was going to be. When other clubs haven't had that luxury. Yeah, it, it was... a. It was really strange. I mean, you know, to if we go back to our, you know, amateur playing days, if you know, growing up playing football, if 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 there was ever a fiction and doubt, your manager would call you the manager, and, and both sides would communicate to say, well, you know, the pitch is waterlogged. There might not be a match today. You know, the the both sides would be in the know. Whereas at the most professional level, level, an elite level, you've got one club. Sort of scratching their head, saying, "What's going on here?" That—that's how Everton have portrayed it. Mm-hmm. So it—it's it, it, so bizarre that at such a high professional level, there could be such a, a lack of communication. But you know, Everton's statements—it gave the impression that Everton was sat in a hotel waiting for the game to go ahead, and Man City in the Premier League have been in discussions, and then Man City in the Premier League have eventually agreed that the game was postponed and then Everton found out through the news but Pep Guardiola's press conference he's now quite angry and what he's saying is that he spoke to Carlo Ancelotti personally I don't know I, you know it doesn't make sense what, what's gone on Um, you know I, I don't think it was the, the classiest of, of responses from Pep Guardiola to say that he would have won anyway I do agree I, I think he, you know they probably would have won the game but you know I don't think there was a need for that Um. And I think having a dead right to, to push for a full explanation as to what's going on. I mean, David Moyes made a good point. Um, you know, what he said is that when he and two West Ham players were tested positive for coronavirus, they had to play the game. And, and what Moyes' interpretation of the rules are is if you've got 14 players available, the match needs to go ahead. In my personal opinion, I think if there's been an outbreak, in the city camp for coronavirus, then I've got no problem with the game not going ahead, regardless of the rules. I think what what is sort of fanning the flames now is Man City trains two days later. Mm. You know, I, I don't I don't see how you can not be fit to play a game and then train two days later. And I don't understand Pep Guardiola saying that Man City wanted to play the game. That that doesn't make sense because if Man City wanted to play the game and Everton wanted to play the game, the game would have happened. So I think I think Guardiola saying that is insulting people's intelligence. But until there is a full ex- explanation from the Premier League, and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get it, to be honest, because it's only Everton asking for it. You know, it's not Ian Clough, you know, banging the drum in the media. It's Everton. So the Premier League might feel that they don't even need to respond to us. Um, but but it is it is a, a strange one. I think. When the news first broke, in terms of on the pitch, I thought it was a, it was a positive. I thought we played a lot of football. 
Um, we would have had to rotate, as you said. I think Cenk Tosin would have started. I think playing with Daniel would have started. There would have been a goal in quality. And it is likely Man City would have won the game. But obviously, no one's got a crystal ball. Um, uh, and, you know, Guardiola going on the way he was, I think, is a bit rich because they've been on the wrong side of a hammer into the likes of Leicester at home. So I don't think, I don't think it, it was as nailed on as Guardiola was making out. Um, but I, I just think we were professionally embarrassed about not being involved in the discussions. And, and I do agree with you. I, I don't. I don't think it's a case that we were looking for three points. I just think we were looking for clarity. Um, I mean, I don't want to go into the rumour that we've all heard about Carl Walker and the party because it is just a rumour on social media and there's nothing in it. But if something like that was to be proved true, then I do think that would change my opinion in terms of Everton requesting three points. But yeah, it's catch-22 in terms of on the pitch. I think it was just a positive because I, I thought at the time that's brilliant. If, if we can, you know, we've just got three points against Sheffield United. We now get a, a, nearly a week's break before having to play West Ham, the form we were in, and then get the likes of Charleston back and then Hammers. I thought that that could only be a positive. And I thought, obviously, in hindsight, it was wrong to think that, but I thought we were nailed on then to, to go and give West Ham a bit of a beating and, and keep ourselves on track for maybe a Champions League push. But I think it is worth keeping an eye on, isn't it, in terms of an explanation. I think if it just goes quiet, then something's not right. And you said it to me at the time. You said, you know, if it was a team like Burnley, they wouldn't have got away with it and they would have been made to play. I think because it's Man City, you just sort of feel that something's a bit, you know, something's not right. You know, the big team is sort of being looked after by the Premier League. But, you know, I think it's one to, to keep an eye on. But yeah, we, we got a break, didn't we? Um, we? We had nearly a week's break before we, we played West Ham at home on New Year's Day. Um, and yeah, as I say, for me with that break, I was so confident we'd win this game. Having, you know, the extra time to prepare for it. Um, and obviously with the likes of Richarlison and Hammers being back. We lost the game 1-0. Um, how disappointed were you with the game? Oh yeah, I thought it was really poor to be honest with you. And I've, you know, I've praised Everton recently when we've done well. Um, really, are. but last night it just felt really poor. Similar to Man United in the sense of of just poor passing, poor simple, simple five yard passes and lack of leadership. Um, last night I found and we, we allowed the same as Leeds, but worse in my opinion, we allowed West Ham to come to Goodison Park and lead with three points, and. He didn't, they didn't play well. They didn't play well enough to get three points last night. I don't think we did either, to be fair. I don't think any, any team did. It was a poor yeah. match. I think I was watching on BT, like many people would have, and I'm not a massive fan of Mark Manaman. Um, but he was right in the sense of it was just an awful game to watch. Um, and there was no need for it, as you said. We've had a break. Uh, I think some of our top players just didn't perform. Um, simple as that. Yeah, I, I had a discussion on social media with Paddy Boylan about how Everton played, um, and there was a slight difference of an opinion. We, we both agreed that tactically, technically, we weren't good enough, but, you know, where we disagreed is, is you know, I, 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 my opinion, and I still believe this is that there was a lack of hunger last night. Um, and what I mean by that is the passing was so slow. It was so slow, it was so lethargic, and everything was in front of them you know, West Ham all night. And the point is, is a more ambitious and hungry team would have been moving that ball much quicker. Asking the question to West Ham, making angles off the ball to receive the ball. But there was none of that. And I think the way we played and how lethargic we were reflected the, the appetite to win the game for me. You can't win a game of football moving the ball so slow. It's so easy to defend against them. You know, I'm not taking that away from West Ham, but I've saw West Ham come to Goodison this season. We've hammered them. They're not a good side. And, you know, there's fans who gave Moyes credit for how he set West Ham up. And he did. He was set up well, but an intelligent and a more hungry side with a broken down with relative ease to, to be, you know, blunt about it. Um, we didn't move off the ball. And, and whoever was on the ball, they, they took further in a day. There was too much safe passing. 
too much sideways passing and too much passing backwards. And I, I wouldn't criticise an individual. I think there's a lot of bad performances out there. But as a team, and again, it's similar to the opinion on Man United in the quarterfinal of the cup. I think opportunities present themselves. And it's not all the time because we've just spoken about beating Sheffield United, beating Arsenal, beating Chelsea. So it's not all the time. But in key moments, this Everton side let us down. And I don't think the build for success mentally or in terms of the quality on the pitch, that there was an opportunity to, to go for a brief period anyway, second in the league, and, and you don't have it. You don't have it in them. Um, it's In my opinion, I don't think it's a very good league. I think the quality is poor, and I think it's there for anybody to, to go and have a real good season. But, you know, I, I, th- I thought we choked, and I thought we... we I don't want to say bottle, but it just felt as though we, we played within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if we'd have won, we'd have been one point off the top of the league with a game around against Man City. Um, and, and Michael Ball made a comment, and he was at the game. Uh, and because of, because of an old fans there, he could hear everything on the pitch. And what he was saying, in his opinion, was that there was a lack of leaders and a real desire on the pitch in terms of the communication, speaking with each other. And, that's how it felt watching it, that there was there was nobody within Everton's team or Everton as a, a collective. They weren't really, you know, they didn't seem hungry enough to grab the game by the scruff of the neck and get the three points. Um, what's your take on, on Michael Ball's comments about the, the, the lack of leadership? I mean, that's something that he has mentioned on the podcast with us. So I suppose him being at the, at the ground and... and you know, comment on the lack of communication. I mean, that, that is quite concerning, isn't it, really? Funny enough, I, I didn't see any of them, or see any of that interaction, but um, I did actually think that last night during the game, they were defending a set piece, and I remember thinking to myself, who's talking, who's, who's leading? I was looking for Coleman, I was looking for, for certain players on the pitch, Mina, and I couldn't see any of our players leading. I couldn't, you know talking to each other and communicating well. I just couldn't see it anywhere. And um it's something that we've always been quite critical of, of. And I think when we touch on the transfer window in a minute, you know, you've got to get that quality if we're looking to to get a few more players in, but also got to try and get that right character. And over the next 18 months, two years, the personnel coming to the squad has got to be the right character in order to shift that mentality. Uh, but last night, yeah, I, I just I agree with him to be honest with you. I didn't see much leadership at all. Well, what do you make of, and again, this is something that Paddy Boyland have mentioned that, and it, you know, it was an interesting point. But what, what his point was is Everton quite recently have been playing with a, a flat back four, four centre halves, and they've been soaking up, uh, you know, a lot of pressure. Whereas the game against West Ham was different in the sense that West Ham were always going to come and sit back and, you know, be happy if they draw the game. Um, what significance do you, do you put on that in terms of, you know, this is the first time in a while we probably come up against a team happy to sit back? You know, our Goodison recently has been Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United. It's been teams that have been coming, looking for three points. When West Ham, they, they came and sat back. Do you think that had much significance on, on Everton in terms of what was being asked of them? Was di- You know, was something a bit different? We were being asked... To, to go go on and break a team down, do you, you know? Do you give much weight to, to that argument that maybe tactically we were we were done by, by Moyes? Well, I, th- I think that's always a risk, isn't it? When, <clears throat> when you've got the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea coming come to Goodison Park and we're able to sort of be solid, get them behind the ball and, and win our individual battles and then take your chances. Um, but as you said, you know, it's always a risk when a, a team comes to Goodison and they're going to do the same thing. And they're, they're looking to go away three points. They didn't care that they played Shag last night. They went away yeah. three points. And that's always the risk. And you, in my opinion, you've got to have a, you know, a, a, we've already said in this podcast, Carlo's the man. Um, but you've got to have a, a plan B. Um, you've got to have a way of breaking down these teams because they're not going to be the only one. You know, they've seen Leeds now come to Goodison recently and come away with three points. They've seen West Ham come and get three points. Team, teams are going to be looking at us and you know, come to Goodison Park thinking there's three points up for grabs here if we set ourselves up and apply ourselves in the right way. And we've got, yeah. to, we've got to be cute to that. We've got to have a plan B. We've got to 
um, know how we're going to break down teams, play a few our strengths, um, which you just don't think we did last night at all. I think we're, you know, often, and I blame the players for this, uh, I think we take our game to team's level. Yeah. Rather than playing our own game. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get both points, to be honest with you. Um, and I think we've just got a little bit, you know, over recent years, we've created a lot of chances by fullbacks getting forward, and that's not been the case recently. Um, and you've just got to have that plan B, really. Yeah. What What do you make of the decision by, by Carlo Ancelotti? You know, I touched on it earlier that the past few weeks, games, he's gone with that flat back four, ball being centre halves. This time around, he brought Seamus Coleman back in. Um, and as a result, he took Michael Keane off the team. What, what did you make of that decision? Do, do you think it had any bearing on the on the performance and the results? Yeah, I mean, it was a strange one to me, cause, uh, you know, unless he's got a, a slight knock or anything, but because um, I know he got brought off to Coleman, didn't he? Um, against Sheffield United. But it, it was a shame because I think Keane has been solid this season. I think it's been one of his most consistent uh, seasons for Everton so far. Uh, but I th- also think that he's brought on Mina as well. I think Mina's looked a lot. You know, I'm not as ma- I'm not a massive fan. Like, uh, I often go away. For <laughs> <laughs> any new listeners, I'm not a big fan of Mina. But to be fair to the lad, he, you know, he's looked a lot more solid, not perfect. Um, but I think that partnership with, with Keane's been pivotal in that. Uh, and I think we just looked a little bit strange last night because we brought a full back in for the centre half, but it didn't feel that we looked any more balanced. Yeah. Um, personally, I think it made more sense to put him left back. But I don't know. It's easier now inside, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's it. I, I don't. I wouldn't personally. I wouldn't want to make too much of it because when I saw the team, I was still confident we we would get the three points. And I think I understand where he was going. I, I think we saw the substitution against Sheffield United. I think what what he is what what the manager trying to do is put aside. Put a side out there that can get in and behind, and with fullbacks that can get forward. The idea is, is you know, you get in round the back, unlike the centre halves. Um, but yeah, I don't think it was called for. And in, in particular, taking Michael Keane out, he just seems to be. You know, I'm I am a bit critical of all our centre halves. I'm not mass. You know, I don't have a lot of. Painted them over the course of a season that that he can he can have consistent performances. All, all of them at some point do have the, the dips of form, but Michael Keane in particular, as you say, has been playing really well. I, I didn't really understand taking him out, but by the same token, I think the team that he picked was good enough to, to go and get the three points. It was a bit of a strange one. Um, on Bernard, Bernard, he's one of those players that. When he comes off the bench, you can have moments where you think something enemy, you know. He, 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 give an example, he come on in Sheffield United and I thought him, Andre Gomez and Seamus Coleman, they helped to turn that game and I thought Bernard done very well in, in the build-up to the goal. But then from that game against Sheffield United, he gets another opportunity and, you know, I, I don't want to pick on him because I thought they were all poor, but it's an example, really, the lack of strength and depth, isn't it? A, a player's come in and he, it's just another another example of a player not taking a chance. He's been linked with Roma. Do you think that might have been a swan song or do you think that he deserves more time to to stake it, you know, a claim to be starting for Everton? I don't think that he's ever had a, you know, a lengthy spell on the team, to be honest with you. Um, he has got he has got something, hasn't he? You know, we've seen it, but I don't think that he's ever been given that. He, he and he he has proved to be inconsistent, and he hasn't took them opportunities. But I would like to see him getting four, five, six games under his belt and and being allowed to see if he's got that he's got that consistency. It seems that he's just in and out of the squad all the time, and he, he just appear he might just appear to be an inconsistent player. Me, the honest opinion is that I don't think he's going to cut it at Everton. Um, and I think in, in another league he would be really effective. But 
you know, I would like to. Uh, he's got something, and he's got something to offer. You seen that against United earlier on the season. He played brilliant, but then he was out of the squad again, and that's when I would have liked to see him really be kept in the squad. Um, but I know it's difficult at the same time because of Wolby coming and played really well right wing. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a bit of a shame really if he does move on because I don't think he's ever had that that period in the team consistently. Yeah, I think that's massive, isn't it? That that get a run in the side. I, I'm not, I haven't been a Wolby's biggest fan, but but you know the manager persisted with a Wolby, and after a lot of questionable performances, he become a regular and. Ironically, I think I missed him last night. Um, and maybe Bernard had the opportunity of Wolby is had to play week in, week out and get through a rough patch. We might see the best of him. But yeah, I, I sort of, I'm inclined to agree with you. I don't think it probably is for Everton long term. And I don't know what Everton plans are for January, but I think Roma come knocking. I think, you know, he's one of Everton's highest earners. Um, I think he could be Everton's highest earner because we've got him on a free. So I don't know whether Everton can justify that with the performances. Um, but look, I'm not picking on him. I thought there was a lot of poor players um, last night. I thought Richarlison was, was dreadful last night. Um, just wanted to ask, are you concerned about Richarlison's ball? No, I'm not, I'm not concerned about it. I think that he... Um, <clears throat> I, I, I personally think that, and a lot of people may disagree, which is fine. I don't feel he's comfortable in the role he's doing. I don't think he wants to do it. I don't think he's happy doing it. And I mean, you can't really tell by his face because his face is always, you know, he's always a grumpy bastard, isn't he? But um, I, don't, I just don't feel that he's enjoying that role, that, that, the job he's asking to do, but, you know, a lot of tracking back. Um, I, I'm not concerned about his form. You've seen it, you seen it against Leicester, the way he picked up the ball, that, that just that moment of magic and you've seen him at his best there. I just think that we've just got to start playing playing away more consistent where you know we're playing to our strengths and yeah. he's part of our strength. Um, you know, Dean being missing down the left. You know, we are not we think he's a little bit overrated, don't we, on this podcast, but you can't deny the the quality that he's got. Um, I think uh, my, my sorry to interrupt. No no, no, what I was just going to say there when you say he's overrated, my thing with him, I think he's missed in the seventh side more as an attacking threat than defending. Well, that's I mean, what, yeah, that's what I mean. Defensively, if, he, yeah. if he's overrated, but you can't deny that quality moving forward. And yeah. Can't yeah. Start developing down the left side moving forward. So I think him being missing as well really impacted with Charles. Because we've had yeah. Ben Godfrey down that side, and you know, there's a lot of tracking back, and I don't think he's playing his game with Charleston really. So, I suppose, really, the next thing I wanted to ask then, you know, Luca Dean being out of the team, and then the Charleston's form not being the best, does that then hand in hand go with Dominic Albert Lewin's dry spell now? Does that concern you, or, or do you think that that's uh, you know, another consequence of the Charleston's form, Luca Dean being out the side? I, I think we've just seen a, a combination. My opinion is we've seen a combination of you know a few few of our first team players coming out of the squad and we've had to sort of adapt in order to try and play away to try and get three points. And a consequence of that, as you said, is <clears throat> the lack of chances for Dominic Calvert Lewin. You know, early on in the season you seen Dean getting forward down that left side, um, balls across from Rodriguez and he's putting the, the, the balls in. For, for Dominic Calvert Lewin from, from wide areas, and we're not seeing that same delivery, we're not seeing that same chance of the Dominic Calvert Lewin. He's having to, to pretty much just run around all game and put himself about, and that that's that's about it, really, because he's not getting any service. And it would it be a little bit last night that we not to go off on one, but we, it was crying out for James last night. He came on, and then Dominic Calvert Lewin came off, and I just thought it was a bit of a wasted opportunity, really. Um, yeah, it was such service. And such quality on the ball, but then playing the same close enough top. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It, I agree. I think we never we never played to the strength last night, and <clears> the <throat> lack of service is shocking. I've got no concerns with Dominic Avalon and this, you know, dry spell. I think all strikers need goals, but I feel as though the way Everton are playing, there are the, the service has been dreadful. You know, an opportunities for him, and he's still working hard, and 
he's still making chances for himself. Very unlucky against Sheffield United in the first half when he took that down on his chest. I think, in hindsight, he could have took another touch, but, you know, on another day, that man's the bottom corner and, and it was brilliant. I, I thought we were dreadful last night and it would have been difficult for any forward. I agree with you, he brought Cheng Tosin on and it, it was like for like, but, but again, I touched on it earlier, the, the drop in quality shows, you know, Allen's out the team, the player that comes in is nowhere near as good and Dominic Cavalloon goes off and then we've got that other drop, it, you know, it's just not good enough really, is it, in terms of the strength and depth. Um, another player's performance, I mean, you know, again, not singling anyone out because we've just touched on the Charles and having a, a stinker, mm-hmm. but Tom Davis continues to cause a stare on social media. There's, it's as if like he's like Marmite, you know, you either love him or hate him. But for me, you know, we touched we touched on it before we, we started recording. I think it was one of the poorest performances from a professional footballer in terms of doing the basics of tackling, passing. And yet, although we are in agreement with this performance, there are fans who watch the same player and actually thought he had a good game. Is this another example that he is naturally good enough for Everton, or do you think that's harsh because, as a collective, we were poor? A bit of both, really. But I, I think a lot of our troubles in terms of possession started with Tom Davies last night. It's it, giving the ball away. It's simple five-yard passes is contagious. It's contagious, and I think we've seen it last night. <laughs> but it, some of his passing was absolutely dreadful, uh, and again, not just him. The, you know, the lack of intensity, the lack of, you know, as you said before, it was a lethargic performance. Um, but in terms of possession, in terms of trying to dictate the, the game, a lot of it broke down through Tom Davies last night. And I think he's he's been doing okay as well. Sheffield United, the, you know, he had a really good game and there's been other moments he's played really well. And I've thought in the back of my mind, oh, hang on a sec, you know, if he's going to get a run here, is he going to be able to try and prove his wrong? But if he plays like he did last night, there's not a chance. This is the thing, I suppose, when our midfielders get the ball, if the if the forwards in front of the midfield are not moving and they're static, then the midfielders haven't got much option but to go sideways or backwards. But this is the, the point we made earlier about the lack of communication. If you're in Everton's midfield and there's no pa- there's no forward pass on because the three forwards are static, then you know, make it clear that you're pissed off and not happy with the lack of movement. Don't just go backwards and and sideways for 90 minutes, you know, visibly make it clear, not just to the players, but to the fans, whoever, that you want more movement out of them. Mm. Because Everton's midfielders were too happy to, to go backwards, sideways. And if they're doing that because there's a lack of movement up top, then make it known that you're not happy. There, there was a lack of angles, and it was like the forwards were static, but the midfield was just happy all night to go backwards and sideways. And, you know, West Ham got credit for the way they set up, but if Everton played like that against anybody in this league, they would struggle to get three points. I mean, as poor as we were, we lost the game on, on the back of a of a you know bit of a deflection that fell to the West Ham player. But when you play that poorly, that can happen. And I think West Ham set out to draw that game last night, but as the game went on, I felt as an Everton fan watching it that West Ham were growing in the game and, you know, they sort of felt to oh, hold on, like Everton on that area. You know, we go at these, we can beat them. And that was because of how slow and lethargic we were. So, you know, any argument that Everton's midfield had to play like that because there was a lack of movement up front, well, force the issue, you know, bollock your forwards. If, if, if your forwards aren't moving, then if you're having to pass sideways, turn around and bollock your forwards and say, look, start movement, creating angles. But there was no communication. The midfield was just happy to go sideways and backwards, and it was just dreadful all over, I suppose. But, but yeah, I agree with your point on Tom Davis. And, you know, me and you are of the same opinion. He's not good enough for Everton. That's the top and bottom of it for us, and probably, in our opinion, not a Premier League player. But he's not on his own, is he, in terms of how poor he played? Um, but yeah. A lot of mixed reactions to the significance of that game and results for, for me. It was an appalling result and, and it was a bad performance. And I think we will bounce back and we will put, you know, a good run together again. But it's just another example of why maybe we can't trust these players. And I've got my niggling feeling is that 
these players will continue to let us down when it matters. And I think the quicker Carlo Ancelotti can get his group of players together, the better. And that's why the rumours of Kadira, I am of that opinion that whoever Ancelotti wants, then I'm, I'm behind it. Because this thing of Kadira being 33, if Ancelotti wants him, then I'd have every bit of confidence that he'd be better in our midfield than the likes of Tom Davis. Um, and even Andre Gomez, I know he's had a bad injury, but you just don't know what you're going to get. And then you've got Kilpie Sigurdsson, who has a, you know, he hasn't proved drastically, but he just, he doesn't know. He doesn't want to know with a 50-50. You spoke about it before we come on recording. He has a, he has a habit of making it look like he's putting a shift in. Uh, and he does try, don't get me wrong, he does try, but he's just not, he's just not, in my opinion, he's not what, whatever it needs. Um, uh, and this team will just continue to, to let it down. I mean, do you think that's too harsh? Do you think I'm overreacting to, to that result and performance? Um, no, I, I wasn't too happy last night, to be honest with you. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because we looked at the table this morning, we're fourth place, and we've got a lot to be happy about in the, the 12 months that Ancelotti has been in charge. A lot, to be, a lot of promising things to come as well. We've got more transfer windows. And I think it just highlights really that we have got to be patient. But at the same time, as you mentioned earlier, today, there's an opportunity for a team outside of the so-called Big Six to have a really successful season. I'm not talking winning the league, but I'm talking top four. There's absolutely no reason why a team on Boxing Day, who is second and a team on, on the, the end of New Year's Day, is the fourth place, couldn't go on and, and do that. So there's an opportunity there, but at the same time, when it comes down to three points is, is massive in, in momentum. And we had an opportunity there last night to go back second on New Year's Day, and, and we never took it. So I, I don't think you're being too harsh. In terms of Stigerson as well, um, you know, I think I described it, I'd hate to be in a line with him. <laughs> just a bit of a snake, and he like he just, you know, he's not given hundred percent, and he has improved lately. Um, but yeah, that you can't excuse the the, the lack of uh, taking responsibility there last night. Um, I think there was some positives in the sense of, but I, I personally think, and I, I know you may disagree, but I can't remember. I personally think defensively, the core done well yesterday, and I felt a little bit sorry for them in that midfield. They covered a lot of ground, they broke a lot of play up, um, a lot of work that normally goes unnoticed. Um, I think Gomez come on, I think a lot of Evertonians have the same opinion that Gomez looked a lot better when he came on last night. Um, I think I heard Mac will actually say in the commentary that he added a bit of pace to the game. But I couldn't believe. Like, it's scary, isn't it? I don't know about that. I wouldn't go that far. But um, he done well. Do you know what I mean? He, he protected the ball a lot better and, and got us moving forward. Um, uh, I, I don't disagree with you with the core. Um, I suppose the, the thing with the core is that it's it, you know is is impact on the game's sort of diluted really when you look at how Tom Davis and Sigurdsson played. Um, I think the core, we'll see the best of them, I say, in a settled three with Alan. Um, and the thing with Sigurdsson, you know, he does have good games. And Andre Gomez come on and he did play well. But then when Andre Gomez starts games, he can deny that he's there. I mean, just to go back to another point you made, I agree with everything you said, but I actually disagree regarding winning the league. I mean, you said that, you know, a side outside the top six can get top four. I think a side outside the top six can win the league. I really think it's such a poor league. I really do. And Leicester City won the league a few years ago under similar circumstances. They've done great, don't get me wrong, but one of the main benefits Leicester City had was that everyone around them was doing what, what's happening now, dropping points. And look, I, I, I still think Liverpool are the best in this league, but I don't think it's a Liverpool that we saw in recent years and running away with it. They're dropping points to poor sides and everyone's doing that. So I think any side that can get themselves together and be consistent could win the league, but you know, potentially get top four, and unfortunately, it's not going to be Everton, in my opinion. And you know, some fans on social media that I saw last night, they were having a go at other Evertonians for using our motto as a bit of a soundbite with no actual substance behind it. And what what I was getting at was saying that you know our motto's our standard. Is I'm not I'm not content sort of being fourth in the league at the moment because it's a poor league and. When there's an opportunity to go second, obviously Man United would have gone above us anyway, winning their game. But at the time, when there's an opportunity to go second, 
you are at home to West Ham with better players and you've had nearly a week off, then I can't accept it just because we've had a good season up to now. You need to demand as a fan, you should want the best for Everton and you should want that success. You know, Liverpool fans, as, as for all the success they've had, they would have been pissed off drawing two games on the bounce and they're still top of the league. And that's that difference in mentality, wanting the best. Um, you know, I don't want to go overboard because we've had a decent season. But this Everton side's not finishing fourth with results like that. And that's the, the disappointment that, you know, again, an opportunity's come along. And it, it's all about mentality. Man United, when Sarnham beat Villa, and all right, it was a dodgy penalty that they won it by. But at the end of the game, that you could tell that the way they celebrated, they believed they're in a title race. And, and they are. I mean, I don't think they'll win the league. I think Liverpool will. But it's not the point, is it? It's that mentality of trying to better yourself and, and keep going. Because if you're just a fan that's happy to, that these results will come along, then, you know, what's the point? You should aspire to be the best. And it's not, keep saying it, it's not, in my opinion anyway, it's the quality of football is not what it was. And that's that's something that should be being used to our advantage. But anyway, it's gone. You know, we've got to move on and... Um, Obviously, the next game is a, is a must-win, but you know it's probably a, it's another opportunity, isn't it? Um, I, I'm dubious, I'm doubtful that this side will bring in silverware, but there is another opportunity in the FA Cup. Um, but at home to Rotherham, it's a must-win, isn't it? And we do have to bounce back. Do you see this as an opportunity to rotate, or do you look at the fact that we've got a week off now that we should just be playing our best team in this one? I think it's sort of what the take days is we play Friday and we're playing on a Saturday. Um I, I personally FA Cup, full strength squad and, and set the bar from that first game and right throughout it. No dropping the goalkeeper. Um the best squad that's available to you who's been putting shift in, you know, you deserve to be in there. Um and as I said, yeah, raise that bar and, and, and set your standard throughout the whole competition then. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. I think, you know, there probably is an opportunity to rotate, but I think you're dead right. I think especially for ourselves, if we're, if we're desperate for silverware, you know, there's there's no reason to really rotate. In particular, Richarlison and Dominic Albert-Lewin, both of them have, for different reasons, really, that the form's dropped. But, it, you know, both of them could fill the boots against Rotherham, then it's a, it's a bit of a confidence booster, isn't it, before... Um, we return to, to the Premier League. Um, so that's it then with, with, with the festive fixtures. Obviously, we're now in January to transfer windows open again. Um, I mean, in terms of analysing the Premier League season up to now, like for me, it, it is a, a weird one. I mean, you know, by way of an example, when we reviewed the Newcastle game away a couple of months back, I, I wrote Everton off to, to get in European football and then you know, at the moment, we are sat in fourth place, um, you know, just missing the chance there to close the gap on Liverpool. As I keep saying, like, for me, it is one of the poorest leagues in a long time regarding quality. And I don't think that we are good enough for, for Champions League football. But, you know, the West Ham performance aside, the league table does show that, that everything's up for grabs. I mean, for you, what, what would you like to see in the transfer window? What? What would you be content with in terms of Everton's business? I think what you touched on before, the difference this time around is that I trust in Carlo, trust in a manager that we've got, he's going to get the players in however he wants to play. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and you've got to show that bit of patience as well. It's going to take you maybe a few seasons for us to really be in that position to, to be talking about, or to be challenging for the league anyway. Um, but I'd, I'd like to see some characters come in, some leadership come in. That could be that Sammy Cabrera that you mentioned before. Um, or other players that, you know, have got that, that character to really drive us, that winners, a winner's mentality. I think we've tried before with a few, you know, hand-me-down sort of Delft and Snyderlin and players like that we've brought in to sort of give us that winning mentality to squad and it just, it hasn't materialised. So I would like to get some, I'd like to think, from European players that have maybe been there and done it. Um, yeah. Some people can come into the club and, and raise the standards, as I mentioned before. So uh, rather than any... Uh, I mean, we need we need to improve up top, as you said before. 
it was clear when you were talking about Man United, the, the depth that they got up, up top and the quality. We haven't got that at all after Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, we had a, a moment where he looked really, he looked quite tired on the pitch and we had St. Tolkien to come on afterwards or we put Richardson up top. Um, so we need, I think we need another striker, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's it. Like, I mean, you know, I said this before, away from the podcast, if you look at the lead table now, the top eight or nine, I think whoever does the best business out of those teams will be the ones that, that get European spots because I know the January transfer window is notoriously difficult to send them, but if you look at Man United, now for me, their best player for a mile is Bruno Fernandes, and he, you know, he came in in the January window and he elevated United. And it, I'm not saying it's easy to do that, but with the scouting that Everton, you'd like to think you've got worldwide scouting, there must be possibilities to, to bring in players to take us to a, another level. Um, He's spot on as well in terms of a striker. I, I think that's a given. You know, we saw that yesterday that Dominic Cavalin goes off and when you see Cheng Tolson come on and I know it sounds harsh, but you know, you just sink in your seats. You you think the the, the drop in quality, it's just yeah. You know, it, up to now this season, whenever Cheng Tolson's come on, nine times out of ten, it, it, well no. I don't think there's been one occasion when he's come on and, and it's worked out. I don't think he's found the back of the net yet. Um, I think we all agree, don't we, that a, that a strike is a given. Is there anyone in particular that, that you would like to see come in or is it just that, that position you'd like to see as best? I've just, just been thinking that. I've always been a fan of David Merez from Ajax. Is he still there or has he moved on? I don't know. To be honest, I haven't been tracking him. Um, what kind of player is he? He was, was, from what I've seen, he's a tracking uh, right winger, but he can play up top as well. Play across the, the Brazilian, isn't he? Um, yeah. I just think that he'd, he'd be a good option to go for. Um, he just came to my mind. And I know we've, we've talked about Olsen, the six million from Roma. I don't, I don't quite get it. Um, but, and then Kadira as well. As I said, like, there's no one in particular. I want. I just want. I trust in Carlo, and I, I just want some characters to come to the squad, some leaders. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's likely, but, but the player that I personally wanted at Everton for a while now is Danny Ings. I just think, in terms of what he offers, experience and goals and something a bit different to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I think it really helped. I don't know in the January window how likely that is to go and get a player like that, but. So it made just something a bit different to Calvert-Lewin and also someone, you know, closer to 30, someone who's been around the block a bit to, to take the, the weight off, off Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And I agree with you, maybe another winger. You know, we, you know, Awobi was out yesterday, Bernard came in and Bernard doesn't look like he's ever going to nail down and cement a place on the side. And obviously with Hammers, I think we have to appreciate that Hammers are going to have to have spells out the, out the team for one reason or another with injury. So I think, you know, probably spot on maybe another winger. Um, yeah, I know what you mean with Olsen. It's a bit of a strange one. For six million, I wouldn't really, um, I wouldn't be too, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't be too critical if we got him in for six million. Obviously, Ancelotti fancies him, but, um, I mean, Donnarumma and AC Milan are free agents in the summer and that's the one that you think, I'm still of the opinion that we need something better than Pickford. Not not for this win, though. I think January is not one for changing the goal. He actually think Pickford's been playing his best football, you know, all season. But yeah, I, th- I think a better quality goalie than Olsen is is probably required. Uh, but but for the January window, Sammy Kadir is linked. I, I, he hasn't played a lot of football um, in, in the last couple of years, and. My understanding is Juventus fans can't stand him now because he, you know, they see him as a mercenary, someone who who's just there for the money. I'm with you. If Carlo Ancelotti wants him, then, I, then you know I'm happy for them to come in. And you know, the likes of yesterday when you see Tom Davis and Sigurdsson, you know, it can't hurt to have another centre midfielder in there. And I know fans think, well, we played that slow. Why would you want someone like Kadira in there? But by the same token. Kadir is someone who can help dictate the play, you know, and he's played for some top clubs. And okay, he might not be the fastest player, but you know, we were I lost count of how many times Tom Davis passed the ball out for the throw in yesterday. It, you know, it, 
the, the level of, of quality is glaring, even at 83-year-old Kadira. And, you know, I think we all look at the, the Gareth Barry signing, and at the time, people had questions over that, and he was a brilliant signing, and he was, you know, he was well into his 30s. So, we'll see. Um, hopefully, you know, we finish the window stronger than what we started, and we can get our league season back on track. So that's it for this week's episode of Talking Toppies. Thanks for listening. Let's hope 2021 is a better year than 2020. Obviously, it hasn't got off to a good start, losing at home to West Ham, but we have collected a respectable amount of points over the festive period. And as you just touched on there, a couple of new additions this month, it might just be you know, the push we need for European football this season. Up the toppies. <laughs>